Hello and thanks for tuning in to the Hearsay Podcast. This is episode 23 and my guest today is my mate Lindsay McDougall, who some of you will know as the guitarist of punk band Frenzel Rom and others might know him as the Doctor uh, from Triple J or Double J or Telly or from one of the many, many things he has done and currently does. Uh, we talked a lot about our love for rescuing greyhounds and although a lot of our chat is wholesome like that, uh, I do need to give you a language warning as we drop the C-bomb a few times. So if you're not into that kind of thing, maybe give this one a miss. I also have to admit we a we talked about Johnny Farnham's Whispering Jack tour, which I thought I went to when I first moved to Australia, but I actually went to the tour after that. Um, and a quick fact check, the lead singer of the Southern Sons is Jack Jones. That will make sense to you later. Uh, Lindsay's strange show story is illustrated by his friend Leslie Rice, which is super exciting. Leslie is a two-time Archibald Prize finalist, an incredible tattooist, and I'm so happy he's agreed to do this. You can check out more of his work on Instagram at art.intimidating.life. Do it. You won't regret it. Enjoy hearsay number 23, Lindsay McDougall. Hello, hey Saya, how you doing? I'm great, how are it's you? It's very funny talking to you with this large pop filter <laughs> around your face. It's like you're trying to hide. I feel like that guy from Home Improvement. Yes. You can yeah, only see my eyes. Identical to that. <laughs> Almost identical. How you going? I'm good. Thanks so much for coming over. Thank you for, this is, uh, if, you're, if you're listening now, it's a, it's a Saturday night in, yep. in South Brisbane and it is, it's a bit sweltery outside it is a little for sweltery. early in spring. Mm. And, and here we are. Here we are. And um, so the first thing I'd like to talk to you about mm-hmm. is greyhounds. Yes, which I, which is all we've been talking about <laughs> since we got here because I finally got to meet your particular greyhound that yeah. in your life, Whiskey. Little Whiskey. Are we allowed to name Whiskey on yeah, the podcast? Yeah, we talked about her okay. um, quite a lot already. Yes. <laughs> well, Whiskey is excellent. She is excellent. Um, she did a very cute pose for you she immediately. Did, which I immediately texted to my wife. <laughs> Did you get a response? Yes, yeah. There's the standard, <laughs> lots of uh, like hyperbolic, uh, oh. you know, repeated consonants on the <laughs> or or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I, Jen and I, my wife and I have uh, fostered five greyhounds, one at a yeah. time, not simultaneously. And a dingo. And a dingo. <laughs> Which is excellent thing to add. And so, what made you? I remember it's the last time I spoke to you about greyhounds. Mm-hmm. Um, you were saying uh, with your lifestyle, you you kind of want to help out for a little while. You can't really commit to having a dog all the yeah. time because you both travel and everything. And yeah, it just did. It just made much more sense. And like from a completely selfish point of view, it's so easy because you get you get the dog, you get to have all its love, and then it it goes away. And so if yeah. you if you can't keep the dog for any reason, like you have, you have to go on holiday, you let them know and they'll either, um, you know, move it to a different foster house or, you know, try and get it adopted, obviously. Perfect. But also they pay for everything. So yeah, it's also good when you haven't got a job, <laughs> which is great. They pay for all the food and all the vet stuff. Do they? 
But there is, well, I guess the, we, we go through um, uh, Greyhound Adoption Program yes. in New South Wales, which That's is... That's where we got, well, we got whiskey from Greyhound Adoption Program in Queensland. Queensland, which is different from Greyhounds as Pets, which has exactly the same acronym in oh. New South Wales, but is run by the Greyhound Racing Industry. Oh. And it's a little sneaky thing they do. That is so sneaky. if you click the wrong one, <gasps> greyhoundgap.com uh, instead of gap.org or something like that, you'll get, the, you'll get the sneaky industry run one, oh. the PR arm of the Greyhound Racing Industry rather than the actual volunteer who want to help dogs. Oh, That's a trick. That is a Good trick. little trick. You know, when we picked up Whiskey and, you know, we hadn't picked her yet. We, had, yeah. we went there to pick a dog. We accidentally stopped at this place that because Gap in Queensland is, is kind of difficult to find on the map. Mm-hmm. Um, and we accidentally drove up to a place that was like an actual greyhound breeding place for racing dogs. Uh-huh. And we walked in there and we're like, hello. And there were all like racing tracks around the place. Oh. And we're like, oh, this feels really weird. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, we were like, let's oh, get no. the fuck out of here. <laughs> I think this feels Before wrong. Before they, yeah, they came up and said, you want, how much do you want to put on this doggy? To- oh my God, oh, it was no. awful. And yeah. then, yeah, as soon as you find the right place, you feel the love. Yeah. It's a weird, it's such a weird thing because I think that maybe the greyhound adoption people they don't want to badmouth the industry too much, at least not in public, because they have to keep up a bit of a relationship with the greyhound industry because they take the greyhounds. Yes. That the industry don't like. I mean, you hear horrible stories of people who rather shoot their greyhounds than or hit them give with up. a hammer and stuff. Well, yeah, That's kill them awful. rather than rather than lose their investment. Yeah. Because they think giving their dog to a greyhound rehoming place is giving up the investment that they made as opposed to letting a living thing live longer. So yeah, it's a, you hear horrible stories, but yeah, we sort of try and take that hard line with these people and they're just like, oh, well, you know, we're doing, we're all doing our best and these beautiful volunteers who are just trying to keep a nice face on everything, you know. I know. And And they all have like eight greyhounds each. The the combi, the the van that, um, that, is it Diane or it's been a while since we, uh, Diane's, I think the woman that runs the office, I can't remember the name of the woman who drives the dogs around, but there's already always so many greyhounds in the back and they're just (laughs) everywhere and it's, yeah, and we, we would go up to, to St. Ives where they would do some training stuff when we had a sick greyhound and all these other greyhounds were hanging around. It's, it's yeah, it's been a while since, because we've been away for a while. It's been, we haven't really had a dog of our own for about yeah. five months now. And it's, um, it's fun to see dogs again. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, you can always hang out with mine. With whiskey. I don't know. She's, she's <laughs> Have a little a whiskey with tonight. whiskey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's been, she's had a big day. So speaking of, um, not having a dog for a while, mm. you've been on a massive road trip. Yes. Um, tell me about that. Tell me where you've been. I went with my wife. We, we decided when we were, when we got married, we thought we'd, we'd move to Wollongong and, and, and get a place cause it's cheaper than Sydney. And then we soon realized that everyone in Sydney was doing that. And so we can't afford to buy a place in Wollongong <laughs> either. So we thought, stuff it. Let's take the money we saved up to maybe put a house deposit on and just go around Australia Perfect. and go everywhere instead of just one place. Yeah. And so we, yeah, so we did, we left, uh, in April and, Started by driving south from Wollongong down to um, some beautiful places along the coast. And then we went inland a bit to, to a friend's wedding in Jindabyne. Then we went through the Victorian snowy mountains. And we're staying in a tent that's on top of a trailer. It's a rooftop tent on top of a trailer that we're pulling in Jen's Subaru Outback, which wow. surprisingly isn't quite made for the Outback. <laughs> it's called an Outback, but they'd prefer... I think the, the, the car 
isn't really made well you can't put like you can't put much weight on it so you can oh. pull a trailer really easily because it's got like diesel power and stuff but you can't really put stuff on top of it so oh. we we're going to put a rooftop tent on it and we couldn't anyway was that like suspension or something it's just it crump it's not just it doesn't it's not <laughs> built to take the weight of a tent <laughs> and two humans on top of, a, of, of the outback but it's fine it pulls a trailer real good and we went all right and so we then went down to Wilson's Prom and Gippsland and then the Great Ocean Road and we're staying in a few places and working for a week. You sort of stay these help ex places and you work and in return you get accommodation and food and stuff. And that was great. We stayed at a um, an eco village and helped build a permaculture hothouse, ah. which meant like digging holes all day and carrying rocks and stuff. And then you'd, you'd work for four hours and then eat for the rest of the time because the guy who ran it would make these amazing curries and dals and food and stuff. Wow. And then we went up. Then we went from there through to uh, the Mount Gambier and South Australia, and through the Barossa to Cooper Pedy. Then right up the middle to Darwin, and I stayed there for a month and did a bunch of stuff. Played a few gigs with various people, and then went across to Queensland, almost pretty much to Cairns, and then back down again. Wow! So it was it was That's a good four amazing. months. Yes, and there's a podcast. If you want to hear more about it, you can check out the McDowell's 2017 podcast. I think we kind of got bored by the time <laughs> we left Darwin. We only made one more podcast. I think <laughs> we got bored, but up until then, it's quite heavily detailed. You can find all the information there. If you want. How many hours is it? The podcast, yeah, uh, probably it's just like eight episodes of so four hours, I guess. Oh, that's cool. It's a quick, you know, it's, yeah, you know, it's a train trip. Smash it out in it's a day. A quick road, quick road trip. <laughs> <laughs> it's there's some good bits. The highlight of the podcast, and one of the highlights of the trip was we were in Darwin on Territory Day, which is the one day a year when everyone in the Northern Territory is allowed to buy fireworks and let them off. Amazing. And they did. I didn't uh, know that existed. No, well, I last time we were in Darwin, or I was in Northern Territory on, on Territory Day, it was like the year 2000 when I was on tour then. And we bought all these fireworks, but then we had to leave straight after the show because we had to drive, had to get to like Tennant Creek or Catherine or somewhere. And so in the middle of the night at a truck stop, we let off all the fireworks, which is, <laughs> and aimed them at everyone because, you know, punk band, and hilarious. <laughs> But this time round, Jen and I were in Darwin for Territory Day and Killing Heidi were playing. So we went and watched them and hung out with them and got very drunk with Ella and Jesse. Nice. And it was excellent. Oh. And and we were riding our – we brought our bikes with us on our trailer because we had a bike rack attached to our trailer. So we had our push bikes. And we rode that half-hour trip back to Nightcliff where we were staying from Mindle Beach, which is where the Territory Day party was. And it's quite a long straight road. And it was like riding through as as – cliched and silly as it sounds a war zone because people were letting off fireworks on either side of this highway and they're firing over us and there's all this white smoke it's like a white light in the air and smoke everywhere and it was a half hour drive we were very very drunk and jen was like commentating the whole time and just recording this thing so there's like a good 10 minutes of us like talking about the fireworks going off around our heads on the podcast i'm gonna listen to it just for that it's very good have you ever been to europe on new year's eve no that's kind of like that. Is it? Well, Germany is at least. Oh, that would be, yeah. It's like every New Year's Eve is like that. Every backyard is exploding. It used to be in Australia too. Every backyard used to explode on yeah. New Year's Eve. But these days it's... It's, it's a bit more illegal. Yeah. And it's the middle yeah. of Australia in the middle of the year instead. Yeah. They've yeah. <laughs> kind of curbed it. They just pushed it in the middle of Australia and then shifted it back six months. There it is. Territory yeah. Day, Northern Territory only. And we're, we're talking... Needs to go. And it's so unsafe, but it's excellent. Like yeah. we're, we're talking to a friend of ours about it you know, has anyone tried to stop it? And there's like anyone who ever tries to suggest that they might stop Territory Day gets voted out the next election. Like no <laughs> one survives that suggestion. So it's safe. I think it's That's safe awesome. in Northern Territory, yeah. It's good to know. Um, so when I start these podcasts, I normally 
I try and think of my first memory of my guest, okay. whether that be in person or otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I think that my first memory of you is uh, a, maybe a party at, uh, at Angel Street. Okay, when no, I was, Sydney. So that's in Sydney. We don't have to say where in Sydney. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. No one lives there anymore. It's Newtown, 14 okay. Angel Street. Jason Jason used to publicise that address on our radio <laughs> that's show. Right. It's gone. It's now just it's some silly, <laughs> generic Newtown house like everything in Newtown is. Um, yeah, because I, I think I was there with uh, Sekiden. We're on tour with Peabody and we went back oh, to, wow, to that yeah. house. Of course. And that's because Bruno you, and Ben from Peabody lived there. That's right. And yeah, and then you guys came home yeah. and everyone was very drunk and it was very funny. I'm sure it was. That's I used my to first spend a, so much time there. It was where Jason used to live, singer in Frenzel Rom. And yeah. Yeah, it was just the place, because it was right down the back from the Town Hall Hotel Newtown, which is where we used to always drink. That's and so right. So you just come straight after that. When to it there. closed, yeah. When it closed, you'd come back to Angel Street and decide whether you were going to sit around in that large lounge room like everyone did. Yeah. And eventually either go to the Imperial, which was behind the house, if that was still open at that time, sometimes it wasn't, or to the casino, which we did occasionally as well, depending <laughs> on the year. When Jason stopped partying quite as hard in like the year 2000 or the end of the year 1999, we stopped doing that. We used to still spend a lot of time sitting around at Jason's house. <laughs> it's terrible. It's a terrible place. That's a good memory though. I remember yeah, it being really fun. It was very fun. It was like, yeah, so the guys from Peabody lived there. Craig New lived there, who's like yeah. a wonderful merch seller person. Members of uh, the devoted few lived there on and off. Um, yeah, there was lots of just carnies. Yeah, it was a, yeah. Lots of musos. Didn't everyone get a tattoo that lived there? Everyone except for Craig knew. Everyone. He held out because he's untattooed <laughs> and he also doesn't drink, so he didn't doesn't make stupid decisions. <laughs> yeah, they all do. They all do. They get Lauren uh. and Jason and Ben and and and. <laughs> you can't you can't hassle people for the stupid tattoos that they no. get. No. What's your stupidest tattoo? Uh, stupidest is gonna be <laughs> so. I got the zombie goat, but that's because one of my favorite bands is the Frogs, and I've got a song called "I'm Sad" because my goat just died today. But I've also <laughs> got the Frogs that Jimmy and Dennis Flamoyne. Oh wow, here you do in portrait after Dennis died. I was like, I'm gonna get Jimmy and Dennis tattooed right here, not Dennis wearing blackface because of course that would be, <laughs> he does. He did he used to wear blackface occasionally, which of course is problematic. I don't know, it's hard. Okay, this is my okay. When I was in America, um recording Smoko at the Pet Food Factory. Myself and a, a woman I met there both got tattooed. We were very drunk when we decided what to get. We came upon, upon or we came across, I can't remember, or we came up with <laughs> the idea for the tattoo. Now, the tattoo is essentially the black flag, four black pillars of the black flag tattoo, except instead of the pillars, they are cats, black cats, and it says cat flag instead. Now, if this seems familiar to you, it's because you can buy the shirt at fucking Dangerfield. Oh my god! We didn't know that when we got the tattoos. <laughs> I swear to God, I thought that we'd come up with this. So the next day, all right, let's go and get this tattoo. And we both went to the same tattoo shop just down the road from the recording studio in Colorado. And I put it up on Facebook or Instagram or somewhere. And my friend said, oh yeah, I think I saw that shirt at Dangerfield. Oh no. And so I got a fucking Dangerfield <laughs> tattoo on my fucking forearm. It's very... It's pretty good though. It's a good tattoo. Yeah. And it's, uh, this arm is my menagerie arm. It's full of lots of ridiculous animals. <laughs> there's an eight-legged uh, cat there. Oh, octopus little, cat. Uh, yeah, octopus. Octopusy or catapus. I didn't... Yeah. And then there's this one here, which I've got a... This one here that works for podcasters. <laughs> it's a, um, a four-headed, four-winged leopard that is actually a representation of the Grecian dynasty 
as painted by a priest in Vanuatu when I accidentally went to a church. When I, <laughs> I accidentally went to go, I, I saw a cafe that had vegetarian food written on some sort of, this is pre-iPhone, so it would have been um, some sort of uh, Nokia phone that I had. Yeah. And I went to, rode a push bike right around this island found the place and it was a Sunday and it was a church service. So I had to wait for the church service to be over till I could order the food. And so I sat down <laughs> and this priest had painted these amazing like vistas, like big pieces of art representing various parts of the Bible. And they were just, you know, they were everywhere. And I was like, dude, can I take a photo of that? And I might get it tattooed. And he was cool with it. Wow. And then I, I, what he, part he, of, what is it? It's the Grecian dynasty, which was, which there's some, I don't know where it is in the Bible. But it's a the Grecian dynasty was described as a four-headed lep, four-headed, four-winged leopard. I guess because there's four aspects of the Grecian dynasty or something. Right. I don't know. No idea. Anyway, it looks fucking cool. It does look <laughs> and, fucking cool. And that is essentially exactly the tattoo, uh, exactly the painting this guy had done. Wow, and, I like and it. Talking about tattoos is so good in podcasts. Yeah, I know. Sorry, that <laughs> you was can, my oh, bad. I'll, I'll make sure that I, I put these up on my Instagram stories. <laughs> the I'll put them on my um my Instagram. Yeah, yeah. So tell me about growing up and listening to music. Do you remember the first music that you're into mm-hmm. and and knowing when you wanted to be a musician? When I was in art class in maybe year it was high school, so year it would have been year seven. Um, because I hadn't started, I didn't start learning guitar till year eight. Mm-hmm. So in year seven, I drew a, a, a picture of me in this band, and I was playing three, three or like three separate keyboards. <gasps> oh, two two of the keyboards were two tiered keyboard stands, nice. and there was a separate. And this was what I wanted because I'd been playing piano for a couple of years, and that was and I had a mustache, so it was like a vaguely. <laughs> Andrew Farris slash Kirk Pengilly hybrid because his moustache was playing the keyboards. I guess like Yanni, but I had short hair. So I was like, I don't think I had a, like this is in in the painting. I had very short hair as a kid, I'm sure. I may have had a slight mullet because this was still the early 90s (laughs) or even, yeah, early 90s because I was 12 or 13, so 1990, 1991. But yeah, it was definitely going to be a keyboard player. I may have even wow. had like a, a Madonna mic, I think, nice. in that painting, that horribly <laughs> drawn art class drawing. So that was what, and that was what I was listening to In Excess and um, I don't even remember other bands I would have been listening to back then, but oh, I listened to like um, Brothers in Arms by Dire Straits oh, I love and that I had record. a couple of, yeah, and I think before that I had a couple of compilation, uh, 1988, 1989 Be Happy and another, a 1988 compilation tape which had some cool songs on it that I still like, including... It's only 50 Miles to Saturday Night by Paul Kelly. Yep. It was on one of them. Back to the Wall by The Divinals. Don't yep. Worry, Be Happy by Bobby McFerrin was on one of those. And then a few other songs that I remember. And that was like my first introduction to music was those cool. things. And, and you wanted to be a keyboard player yeah. with multi with my, Yeah, also because of David Hirschfelder who played with John Farnham back then. And yeah. I was watching the Whispering Jack um, live video i think i went TV. to that tour live yeah okay young would you have been i was ridiculous. just i was just uh living in australia wow so i would have been like welcome to australia here is our most prized <laughs> possession go and watch him sing yeah because my parents were really into him that's awesome and then i went to a, i went to a few tours we went to the um the one where it was like him and southern sons so yeah because the guy from southern sons was singing yeah a lot in back- what's that guy's name Jack Johnson. Jack, Jack Johnson. Johnson. Jack Johnson? No. <laughs> Jack. Could be. Jack. Could be. Anyway. Jack. John Jackson? No, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Heart in Danger. And he has a very John Farnham voice yeah, as does. well. Yeah, he does. Yeah. I think he was the one that did the John Farnham voice 
in Five of the Best by the D-Generation. Ah. The Five of the Best by the D-Generation was like in the early 90s or late 80s, they did these fake chock jock, uh, you know, Triple M style um, little songs where they had five different artists parodied, including the Divinals and Diesel, not Diesel, sorry, uh, James Rain. And um, so Dame, there was a mumbler. And then there was a guy who... who looked like John Farnham and they did a parody of a John oh. Farnham song and the only line I can remember is and if anybody tries to call me Johnny I'll kick his fucking teeth in and it sounded like John Farnham and it was um, it was that guy from Southern Sons who Jack Johnson Jack Johnson who did the voice and that's my Jack Johnson from Southern Sons story that's the only one I have I love it yeah so did but you yes. get guitar lessons I got away? I started learning in, in year eight there was like a term of um, where you get to learn, you get taught guitar. And so you did it for one term. So for like three months or whatever, or some part of three months. And after that, I, Mrs. Kelly, who was a music teacher, sort of asked everyone, all right, so put your names down for what you want to continue learning for the rest of the year. You've got three terms left and um, you know, piano or guitar. And she sort of went around the room, maybe, yeah, and people were saying, she got to me, she didn't ask. She goes, Lindsay, you go back to piano, that's fine. And I got really upset. Yeah. And I was like, no, I want to learn guitar, which I don't think I really did. But because she had got, she decided to not give me a choice, I got all like uppity about it. Yeah. And uh, and it, it was, I, I, yeah, I have told that story. I actually did a Women of Letters about the, the uh, you know, it was a letter. Marie Cardi does this thing called Women of Letters where people write letters to various ideas. And I had to write a letter to the woman who changed my life. And in the end, it was Mrs. Kelly because it was because she denied me that choice that I was like, no, I want to play guitar. And so from <laughs> then on, awesome. I actually went and like I got some lessons off Mrs. McClintock, the English teacher. Um, but then she... Was she any good? She was good. Yeah, she was good like playing folky stuff. Yeah. She looked a bit like John Lennon from memory, or at least we thought hot. she did, but we didn't actually know what... Yeah, uh. she was quite hot. She used to buy my brother's ciggies too. So she was <laughs> rad. Hello, Mrs. McClintock. And she was a good English teacher. She... I, me and Russell Wilder did the parrot sketch for Monty Python, and she yeah. goes, "Oh my god, you are the first. You are the first people I have ever heard who have managed to make the parrot sketch not funny." Oh. Well <laughs> she was brutal. It was excellent. It was so good. But yeah, so she she taught me guitar for a bit, but then I asked her to teach me how to play "Sweet Child of Mine," even though this was 1992 or whatever. So five years too late. But she taught me it wrong, and I knew it was wrong, oh. and I could hear that it was wrong, and I could, and I was like. No, nah, that's not right. And then I started realizing that I could just work it out myself. Yeah. And started just listening to music and just working stuff out. Because if you learn piano, you have a very good visual idea of why music sounds like it is. That's like it's right. grouped into these octaves and all that sort of stuff. And so I could see stuff in my head and go, I know how that works. I can hear those mu- those intervals and work out what they are. I can see them in my head so I can play them on the guitar. Yeah. I can easily translate it from there to there. I had that same experience, but I'm not very good at the guitar. But... Uh, yeah, I definitely think it's good to start with a piano. Yeah. People ask these days, and oh, my son, I want to get my son on guitar. So just teach him piano theory. Yeah. Just like, I never learned much piano. Like, I just learned how to, I got up to chords, I think, a couple of times, and like just basic chords, and then just stopped getting taught. But just knowing why, like, yeah. knowing why shit happens is so much better than knowing how to make it happen, I reckon. Yeah. Like, what is a fifth? It's yeah, good to know, and it's easy to see on the piano. And and why? You know, like so, if you can hear something, okay, I can hear that. That sounds like that. I know what it is. Like you know, the sweet sounds of a major or a sour of a minor or whatever, yeah. just, or the perfect fifth, or like you can just knowing how like what it is that makes it sound like that. Then yeah. you can hear things in your head so much easier, and it works for working how to play songs, but also for writing songs because you can hear in your head an idea and get it 
play it with your hands quicker, I reckon. Definitely. Yeah. So, what was your first band? Oh, it would have been... There was a, a band... I played at a couple of like Miranda Fair school holidays things, but it was one of those things where we got the band together and none of us could play. I think I could play a little bit and wrote a couple of horrible songs. You were just playing Sweet Child of Mine? No, this was... I think this was... <laughs> I think I was playing keyboards at one of them, but it was really just like the chords. Like, I think I remember like, like that was the song. See Lindsay right now. E minor, D minor and a C. Like that was the, that that's the, the prowess. And that was the entire song. And it was like, I'm going to some, some, some band. I love you. So. I don't remember what it was. It was one, and it had some horrible name like the Rock Bandits or the Time Bandits, right. something like that. But then after that, I was in a band. We used to play because after yeah, after I started playing guitar, I started learning about guitar music, and it happened to uh, coincide with grunge becoming a thing. And so, apart from your Guns and Roses and Metallica and stuff, I also started learning Pearl Jam and Nirvana and Alice in Chains and Stone Temple Pilots and all that sort of stuff. So I just and that stuff's pretty easy to play. Yeah. And it can go for ages. So you can jam all lunchtime just on the outro of Alive by Pearl yeah. Jam. And and you can just do it for ages, even though no one could really do guitar solos then. But so, yeah, I used to play that sort of stuff. But we were never... No one was very good and no one was very good at rehearsing and no one was very good at identifying when other people in the band couldn't play. Like There was always good drummers at school. I think there's always a couple of good drummers at school and you find that guy, whether it was David Virgilio or Brett Colonnay were the two good drummers at my two schools. And, you just, yeah, you're just always with them because you need the good drummer. And you can get through, you know, a lunchtime of playing in the music room as long as there's one good drummer. Yeah. <laughs> but then you don't notice that the bass player who says he can play like Primus just kind of looks like he can play like Primus. <laughs> and he can go like, he can he can do the thing that looks like he's finger tapping. But if you actually listen, he's not. He's just watched the video clip and managed to do that really well. And yeah, and I think there was a bit of that. And and yeah, there was like, there was some, there was a really good metal band at, at my first, I had to change high schools halfway through because my first high school only went to year 10 and it was oh. a good high school a good metal band that played at the end that end of year thing and they were they were like the scary boys they were like the tough metal kids and yeah. i was like i was like the music nerd and I, but they played like metallica stuff and that and it was good so were you a bit of a nerdy kid yeah oh i was the worst i was so like it was i never got i got beaten up occasionally but it wasn't too much violence at our my school also being that you could play music and could play Metallica songs, yeah, it, it would help. Like <laughs> there was a couple of, I, I got beaten up where I used to live. There was some kids down the street that used to beat me up um, for, they used to like say, say your nine times tables and then bash me every time I said oh, one. I was just like, you know, like nine times so one is, yeah. But then being able to play music helped a lot. And it's just one of those, everyone knows that you just, you can just distract people with being able to play the song that they like. And, uh, yeah. and, and it's, whether it's, yeah, that obvious grunge stuff. I remember being able to play, like Smashing Pumpkin stuff helped at one point. It's, it's just so weird though because, like, it doesn't, yeah, it just shows you how stupid bullies are. I yeah, don't know. I know. And, and yeah. I, but, yeah, I got bullied in high school too. I remember, like, later on when I started my first band, Sekiden, mm. people were like, oh, she's in a band now. Like, yeah. I think it really helped oh, so that was in a, a weird way. You were in Sekiden when you were 16. Yeah. That's good. Like, that's, yeah. It wasn't cool, though. Like, I didn't feel cool. I still felt pretty uncool. Yeah, I mean, the, the people who 
resisted bashing you up because you were in second and probably never actually listened to second. And But the fact yeah. you were in a band, yeah. you were doing something that is from outside the school, yeah. is probably something cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't have any... I was not in any band. <laughs> did anything besides played out the front of Engadine Library on some weird, like, <laughs> some sort of fate or whatever in Engadine where I grew up. But uh, no, it where, was... Where did you grow up? In Engadine, which is in, where the, Sutherland, is that? in the Sutherland Shire. Okay. Which is, uh, you know, in that bit, the bit where the Cronulla riots happened. Yes. So where all the racists live. That's a nice live. area of yeah. the world. It's not really. <laughs> I mean, there are lovely people who live there too, but it's just a very white and yeah. insular part of the world. We lived in the western, the westy bit, so not near Cronulla, not near the beach, still okay. about half an hour away from the beach. And so it was like kind of worse in some ways, but yeah. also on a major highway. So it's easy to get down to Wollongong, easy to get into the city, so... So did you feel that urge to want to get out of your town or did you yeah. feel comfortable in it? I got lucky that I met some people when I moved to, when I started going to St. Pat's in Sutherland, which is the second high school I went to that uh, had like one of them, this English guy who, who was right into music. He had, he had NME um, front covers pasted all over his walls. Like that was his entire wall and ceiling. So he used to, he introduced me to a lot of British music. And so we used to, and we used to go into town, like we'd, jig school and go into red eye records or waterfront or whatever yeah and pretend to be cool <laughs> and all that sort of thing so that was and that that was when i like i hadn't really been to the city that much before that like i think yeah my parents were quite busy and stuff so i didn't have much time to do much thing many things like that i was very involved in the local area my parents mm-hmm. quite religious so we went to the family group things and we're involved in the musical society so we're in you know local musical society plays and musicals and things not doing much stuff outside so i don't really think about it i don't think and then obviously when you start going outside and start mm. seeing that there's gigs on and there's other things and there's there's a city and there's yeah. like a place where you can you know eat at one mcdonald's and then walk 50 meters and there's another one yeah. you know that sort of thing and go to record shop in between yeah. all those exciting girls. city things and there's so many girls <laughs> so many girls and they care so little about you <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I don't think I cared about that because I didn't have that thing that I'd become vaguely used to, which is having um, a little bit of um, like because I could play guitar at school. I had a little bit of a um, of a uh, profile at school because yeah. I could play guitar in the city. No one cared, yeah. so I didn't care. That, that wasn't <laughs> like it's you know I'm 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 sort of the person that would seek the path of least resistance. Yeah. So I prefer to make friends at school where people knew me because I could play guitar sure. rather than try and go, hey, I'm this guy that's yeah. just got off the train I in my school guitar, uniform. I can play guitar. <laughs> just like that, those four homeless buskers outside all those McDonald's within 50 metres. That's a very strange way, way of conversationing we've got to. But yeah, it's... <laughs> So yes. what? So at what point did you start sort of playing in bands that, that, that you were into? About. Yeah, it was it was only when I joined Friends All Run, which happened oh. after I left school. So I left I left in 1995 at the end of 95, finished year 12, and I had um, got into Sydney University with a TER tertiary entrance rank of 65.4, which was a lot less than I'd. I, 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 between year 10 and year 12, I started being really shit at school because I started caring less. Yeah. There was a bit of marijuana and I drank a little bit, but nothing particularly. Whatever. I just got bored of it, whatever. Yep. And so but I was just doing an arts degree. And then I found out that Frenzel, who I'd been seeing a lot, I've been watching them a lot, especially since I turned 18, needed a new guitarist. I was on a harbour cruise and found out that Ben was leaving. And then I listened. Some radio station mentioned that they were taking auditions. Oh. And so I... S- called the manager and sent them an audition tape, a demo tape that I'd made, fully old school with um, using uh, like 
playing a, uh, like say, pressing play on a no effects song with one tape recorder, pressing record with another tape recorder and playing guitar over the top along so to the good. no effects song, to the Meanies song, to the Frenzel Rom song. And I think I even may have written my own song at some point, oh, which I'd love to hear. I would love to I can, hear that. I can almost remember the that there was like an A, G, and then the D slash F sharp in it. Like, but that's all I can remember about that song, which I wrote in 1996. That's so great. it's fair enough that that's all I can remember about it. And, but, um, and then, yeah, and then so get, getting in the band then after auditioning and stuff was like the first time, like I hadn't even considered anything about like I just thought I'd be playing in silly Pearl Jam cover bands and stuff yeah. I was actually in a band with some friends of mine from school that were playing originals but they were kind of they were they kind of made the tea party seem edgy that's the sort <laughs> of level of band that we were in it was 96 that sort of stuff was popular sort of quasi yeah. doors rubbish yeah that was the worst there was a live cover of the band live <laughs> in that song in that band it was terrible but they were lovely people and it was fun yeah. to play with yeah. good competent musicians which yeah. I wasn't used to they were like Fucking great drummer, great bass player, great yeah. guitarist. And I was playing big keyboards and guitar. That's quite funny. But so what was the process of getting getting your audition and stuff with friends? Or I had to meet him at the Town Hall Hotel, at the Town Hall in Newtown, yep. which I discovered wasn't Townie. a town hall. It was a pub. <laughs> I discovered that day. I didn't know. I was like, I'm at the hub. Is this the Town Hall? Like this Newtown Town Hall? Oh, there's a pub across the road. Thank you. And then I had to buy them bourbon and Cokes and give them my cigarettes, what? which I'm lucky I smoked at that stage. Yeah. And uh, then we had, then we actually went to the gig, which was at uh, there was a pub called Feedback, which was next to the train station, up, up above um, some restaurants, and it was a dodgy as hell pub. And they were playing a secret gig, and I got up for like two songs, and they got me up for another couple of songs. It was like yeah. only two other guys who made it past all the stages, and one of them didn't end up playing for whatever reason, and the other guy just wasn't as good or whatever didn't have silky Sweet. long blonde hair or whatever they were looking for and it wasn't young it wasn't like a 18 year old cherubic fucking idiot that they could mold in there he didn't exactly have cigarettes. In their image. yeah didn't have cigarettes and we're gonna buy them bourbon and cokes and then they were like you're in yeah yeah pretty much they they had a gig that gigs that weekend in melbourne and Bo from front end loader was playing with them and they were like you just go this weekend and that and then chris moses our manager was like no he can't just immediately join the band let's just Let's just forget with how many bourbon and cokes we've been drunk, been bought, and just give, give him a month. So I think it was like within two or three weeks, I had I was on tour. Maybe like wow. I was rehearsing really soon after, and and then at some point, our manager Chris convinced my dad that Frenzel was a viable financial option because my dad's a, a registered accountant right. and quite a good businessman, and yeah. didn't really want me dropping out of uni to do yeah. this so, so but he's obviously not that good accountant because chris absolutely f like fiddle with the books to make it look like we were doing, making any money at all like we were doing i was on the dole within a, like half a year after i left cole's fruit and veg i was working in because i had to go on tour and yeah it was it was we we're so not making any money it was very funny um yeah. wow so so you were instantly like touring mm. heaps that was just after frenzel had released or at the time punch in the face which is the first song yeah. that radio ever really played huge. got play got played as i joined the band so i didn't play on that album i'm not so tough now but that was the single and suddenly we were like on recovery playing yeah, that song and i remember on, that had to make a video clip for it and this was like within i'd say two months of me joining the band wow it was full on and yeah we're, we i played my first melbourne gig like my first gig ever with frenzel it was like a record store after like a like in store and then there was a gig at some sort of suburban place in Victoria. But my first 
City gig was at the Hi-Fi in Melbourne. It's now called Max Watts. So it was massive. It was like yeah, a thousand people or something. Yeah, like. And it was stupid. Like I didn't know what the <laughs> hell I was doing. And it was very, very funny. And from there, we just suddenly everything was happening. Like there was shows everywhere. Yeah. Like only like three-day, four-day tours and stuff. The big stuff didn't really happen until I guess after the next album. But yeah, it was still a lot of stuff for an 18-year-old yeah. who had seriously not thought about much outside of Engadine until that moment. <laughs> and did you get stage fright? Uh, nah, the first, no, the first show I wore a balaclava for a bit, but also because I'm a massive <laughs> Tism fan. And I thought it'd be cool to like say, you don't know who the new guitarist is, hey? You know, this is like before there was social media, so there wasn't, you know, meant, but also... I realised I think that no one really cared who the guitarist was. <laughs> it's just fucking frenzel. We'd also been, we were quite drunk. The first show we played, which wasn't at the Hi-Fi, it was the one before that at the Suburban Melbourne Pub. We played a game called ABBA, where you had to name a band starting with A, go around yeah. the circle, and the first person who couldn't, if we ran out of bands starting with A, had to drink and then start on B. Oh. And by the time we got on stage, we'd made it to Z. So we were a wreck. You know, there's like 26 drinks. I feel like you'd be drinks. good at that game. Yeah, maybe now. Maybe not then. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how. Yeah. It was, I was a very fresh-faced kid. I didn't really, like, yeah, I mean, I, I loved, I was into quite a lot of punk rock, but very straight-up stuff. Like, you know, I was, I, I, my favourite bands were, like, Frenzel Rom, The Meanies and Front End Loader, and then, like, stuff like No Effects and Bad Religion, but... But the meanies were already doing like pretty interesting stuff back then. Yeah. Oh, they were doing and and quite like yeah, like kind of weird stuff as yeah, well. Weird yeah. Stuff. I mean ten percent weird was probably the least weird stuff they'd done because it was yeah. straight up rock and roll. But yeah, getting back into that other stuff. But I was really into yeah, like English stuff like Cardi USM and, and Blur and Pet Shop Boys and stuff through my English friends and, yeah. and, and Jesus Jones and Pop Elite itself and Ned's Atomic Dustbin, all this really yeah. and the wonder stuff, really dorky stuff. Yeah. And also Tism Great and I remember stuff. remember um Jason like breaking a Tism cassette in front of me, <laughs> like which he would never do now. But just being a real drunk art, this is fucking shit. So I, I was touring, I was touring with a Walkman, a cassette Walkman, because I didn't have a Discman. I didn't know Discman's only around briefly then. But yeah, it was, it was all there was. There was there wasn't too much uh, like you know too many too many initiation ceremonies yeah. besides just you know breaking my Tism cassette and making me go vegetarian, which was pretty fun, pretty pretty good result. I had a mm. I had a Walkman that played everything just a tiny bit too fast. Mm. So when I then actually heard the songs like yeah, properly yeah. on they vinyl, felt or like they were on, dragging. I was like, what the yeah, fuck? yeah, because I remember like I had um ill communication and and it mm. was all just like you can't you want you don't stop you can't you want you oh wow that's good <laughs> and then when I heard it I was like man this is weird it's like it's, it's suddenly it's more like a southern <laughs> rap feel like Danny Brown fucking got the ill communication <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah, man. that's good I had a totally. I had a copy of um ACDC's Who Made Who album which is a is a essentially a compilation album from a movie and it had you shook me all night long on it but it had this weird scratch in the song oh, yeah like a weird little so it would go and till fairly late in my musical history i thought that that's how the second second half of the intro riff had this cool little slide up like and it kind of sounded like in my head it yeah, still sounds cool. right so it's yeah that's weird i once made a mixtape for myself that um that had easy by faith no more on it mm-hmm. and uh you know that bit where he goes ew, ew yeah before the it, solo it it stopped just before that <laughs> and so 
whenever I hear that song now, I get really anxious before that <laughs> bit because <laughs> I think it's going to cut out and I'm not going to get the yeah. payoff. There would be there would be so many things. It wouldn't happen so much <laughs> these days because every song's perfect these days. Yeah. And no, yeah. these are like past problems. Mm-hmm. Things that you would <laughs> like, like, yeah, definitely cassettes going slow is something I remember quite a lot of when they would run out of batteries yeah. and that whole um, rumour that, Rick Ashley was just Kylie Minogue slowed down. I remember that when <laughs> I was growing up. Because <laughs> they're both Sock Ake and Waterman. Um, That's right. But yeah, I remember like that was... And you could like put... If you could put your finger... if you Because everyone had a cassette player where you could rip the, the front off. And so you could just yeah. put your finger into yes, the cords and slow, and slow it, down. it down and do awesome things That's like that. That's right. Yeah. yeah, I should have just done that with my fast walk. Well, once you knew you had to. Or just only put in like bad batteries. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you had to temper <laughs> the speed with the bad batteries. It's like, you know... Doing a line of meth, but then taking a Valium, you know, that's the, the audio equivalent bro. of that. I got the incommunication. Oh, yeah, that's... <laughs> did you, I, I saw an episode of 30 Rock last night, and the two surviving Beastie Boys are on it. It's just amazing. Really? It's the episode where they do a um, uh, a um, uh, charity song for, oh. um, for Mr. Donaghy's dad's kidney, and oh, there's two. I've not seen that. Yeah, it's like it's like I didn't know they did anything Beastie Boys related yeah. at all. So okay, so tell me about how you got on the radio. You've probably told this story yeah, a few times. So many times. But just in like thirty seconds. Yeah, thirty seconds, because I don't tell any story in thirty <laughs> seconds. Uh, Jason and I got interviewed a lot by Triple J, and they knew it was, we were easy interviews. So any time we were doing anything, they say, "Oh, let's quickly interview friends." Right. It's easy. They talk heaps. It's, it will fill half an hour easy, yeah. as you may realize. <laughs> and then they just slowly started getting us on the other side of the microphone. We started doing. We did a, a super request when Rosie was away, and then we started. They just a couple of overnights and a couple of sort of little guest spots and things. And then they said, do you want to do uh, all of this six-week period while the Chaser guys were doing the election, while the election was on, just do six weeks on drive in the afternoon. And during that, they asked us to do breakfast because Adam and Will were leaving and yeah. they wanted to do something different that wasn't just get a comedian, another comedian or a couple of comedians on. Um, so they decided to try two completely untrained musicians, <laughs> which was good. I think it was rather they did it. And... Um, they, they afterwards they tried a couple of other times. They a couple of dudes from Jebediah, Chris and and Kev. They yeah. trained them up. We used to, we, we every time they were on, we we're like, oh, you can hear that, hear that brush. They're being groomed. You hear that comb <laughs> being pulled through their hair. And uh, and I think Pat and Phil as well from Grinspoon might have yeah. had a go either on Triple J or Triple M. But yeah, um, so yeah, so we just did that, and so yeah. we got to do breakfast within fucking half a year of starting that suddenly, and we had no intentions to do radio. Like, yeah. I remember thinking like, oh, it might be fun for a bit or maybe we'll, from this we'll go and do something else. So I'd done a couple of things on FBI in Sydney and um, and someone once had told me about my great radio voice, but I just assumed they were trying to have sex with me. But, um, <laughs> were they? Yeah. And, and, and yeah. And it was the 90s. It's a crazy time. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so this, this um, yeah, so, so that it happened. And it was one of those things that once again, we did not think this was going to happen and suddenly we're doing radio. Like I, I've had one of those lives where I, it's horrible. Like apart from my straight up white male straight privilege, yeah. middle class privilege, I also haven't had a try for much. Like got in this <laughs> band after leaving school then got in radio just because they needed someone different, something different yeah. and then did that for 10 years. And now, Amazing. Yeah. You're so, so lucky. It's, it's just a weird thing of just being in the right place at the right time and not having to, I mean obviously trying hard once you get the thing but yeah. not having to, like we'd meet people who were 
will come and do internships and they're doing communications degrees and stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, man, I couldn't have done a communications yeah. degree if I wanted to. Like, I didn't have the, <laughs> I didn't have the, 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 the points, didn't have the score. Yeah. Whether I, you know, wanted to or not. It's, yeah, it's pretty slack. Just got <laughs> by by your charm and personality. Yeah, it's weird. But then <laughs> there's a lot to be said for 10 years of experience being a drunk idiot in a band yeah. in terms of life experience and also being in a band that, kind of does think a little bit more than your standard rock and roll band. Yeah. You know, we and, don't. But did you also find that, like, I suppose the reputation that you guys got was that you didn't give a shit about, like, who you em- embarrassed or who you, like, yeah. said bad stuff about. You had your opinions and you stuck to those. There's Yeah, there's a kind of – there's a couple of different ways that people think of Friends or Roman. And people do think, oh, you guys don't give a shit, do you? It's like, well, we kind of do give a shit. Like, we care quite a lot about certain things, but we don't give a shit about how we come across while communicating that. Like, or at least m- myself especially, like, I don't really care. Like, I-, I obviously care how people that I care about think of me, but I prefer, like, I want to highlight these things like that 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 thing is important to me and i don't care if i look stupid in the process or whatever yeah, like yeah. i've never cared about embarrassing myself or whatever for anything to make a point or just to just just because i like embarrassing myself i don't know <laughs> but there um but then yeah some people also think that you know like either that we're that sort of punk rock don't give a shit band or that we're these like you know because they're all they're all fucking vegan they're all these po-faced fucking vegan whatever. <laughs> like, oh it's not really true either you know there's a, there's a very different sorts of Lots of different sorts of vegans, lots of different sorts yeah. of people in punk rock bands. But yeah, and there's definitely more to you than being a vegan. Yeah, yeah, yeah only a little bit more. But <laughs> but uh, yeah, the um the the, the the yeah people at, at Triple J thinking that oh yeah Jason Lindsay are just these punk rock guys, you know, and then to find out that we're quite into lots of sort lots of music and stuff, yeah. you know. Mm. But did you um you got into like radio wars, didn't you? A little bit with like other oh with Oz Kyle. Network. Yeah, it was more just personality wars. It was only like I mean, it happened before we really had a job in radio that Kyle Sanderlands and Jackie O wanted to hurt us or whatever. So but what what happened there? We we Jackie was late to a festival in Darwin that we were playing at. And what was she doing? She was hosting it. Oh okay. And she didn't get there till just before we played, which oh, was right. like nine hours after the festival had happened. And but also like it was just one of those things where we'd been told to cut our set short for whatever reasons and then oh and you can't go on yet because Jackie O is not here yet she's almost here she wants to say a few words one of those stupid things that we would like at the time it's like fuck that fuck yeah. this, this is fucking weird, weird. also we didn't want to cut another song from our set because you know we come all the way to Darwin yeah you don't very often get to play in these places and we want to play a full set you know and um so yeah I just came out and played Thunderstruck over the top and then we said a few <laughs> things that was when um Jackie O was a host on Australian Idol Oh, yeah. <laughs> so there was that whole, like, you know, what is real music and all this. And, you know, yeah. like at the same time that um, Tim Rogers had bailed Mark Holden up at the airport and said, because of your fucking show, I just got dropped from BMG or whatever. Like, all, <laughs> like a whole lot of anger in the music community yeah, yeah. that this giant show was there. And this is what people thought music was when yes. there's a lot of musicians going, well, actually, no, it's we've not. been doing this for a yeah. while. So that's why when Jason got interviewed by um, Kyle and Jackie O, it was such an, such an easy target because they didn't know anything about what we were just thought yeah. we were idiot, idiot punk rockers yeah you know and so jason's such an erudite and excellently level-headed person yes unlike myself when here in the interview you can hear me in the background screaming <laughs> and telling, that's not true <laughs> so jason's like kyle this is not you know you, you can't just threaten us because you know 
So it was quite funny. And then there was, yeah, all those threats of being banned from radio and all that silly stuff. And it just made them look ridiculous and got us all on Media Watch, which was great. Yeah. But So they they tried to ban your music. Yeah, but they never played us. And, and tr- Was it Triple M? No, nah, tr- oh, Today FM, so f- oh, on the t- Fox okay. Network, so slightly more poppy version. But then the people at Triple M said, no, they're just two radio hosts. They didn't even have the breakfast show then. They had some yeah. Hot 30 thing. And um, there was some funny reactions. There was a there's a hits and memories radio station called WSFM in Sydney, and so to tri- Triple M said, "No, Colin Jackie, I don't speak for us. We'll play you if we play you, whatever." And um, WSFM said, "Well, no, we we can't play. We won't play Friends or Rum either because they're not thirty. Th- their music hasn't been around for thirty plus years yet." <laughs> <laughs> they were like just taking the piss, going, "Well, of course you would. They're not a classic hits band." <laughs> but the whole thing was ridiculous. It was just a. I mean, it's just you know people marking their territory and trying yeah, to yeah. act tough and and also generate controversy because that's what they're fucking good at. Sure. But um. And you got some sweet media. We had great. Yeah, it was. <laughs> and that video, the video, it's on YouTube, but the audio is hilarious. So it's that interview that they did with Jay. Yeah, it's and and, oh, and they didn't they, they they pre-recorded and which we soon learned pre-recording is excellent because you can edit the hell out of that oh, interview yeah. to make yourself sound great. Sure, but they didn't. They put it all to air completely as it was, which is I guess a testimony to a their own self-confidence yeah. or arrogance. They even bleeped the swear words incorrectly, which is <laughs> it was like some comedy sketch where you just hear this beep fucking. <laughs> Was, yeah. That sounds so good. It was, but it's just so, it was just so weird. Like, just it was seem seems so such a weird target to target us. Like, yeah. I don't believe for a second that Kyle gives a fuck about Jackie O and that she was offended that we, you know, interrupted her and made her upset when she wanted to go out on stage to these people that she was nine hours late to or whatever. Yeah, was, yeah. Yeah, it was all very. It was just strange. They were just trying to create drama or something. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. As, which is I can understand from a purely pragmatic radio point of view. You're away for the weekend. You got to come back on air and make some content. Yeah. Everything that happens, you think, okay, I wonder if that's content. Yeah. You know, if the if the the, the pizza delivery guy was late, is that content? You know, if yeah. my taxi driver went the wrong way, if that's content. If some idiot plays thunderstruck over my you know speech at a <laughs> yeah. festival, is that content? But, yeah, um, what a weird yeah. life. Yeah. Do you feel like that when you were on the radio? Yeah, absolutely. Everything could have everything like, could. possibility of content until the last few years when I stopped doing radio like that, and I just I well not when I was doing radio by myself and just thought I don't want to do content. I just want to play music and like share experiences. So if there's something happening in the world, I want to share that. Like yeah. if something weird is happening. Let's go there. Let's talk to someone there. Let's bring that story to the people. Not. Not, oh, something funny happened to me on the weekend. Has this ever happened to you? Yeah. Or, you know, tell us your funny pizza delivery stories, you know. Yeah. But you get people talking by finding interesting stories and getting people to share their experiences, which sounds the same. If you, On paper, it's quite the same, but ideologically, it's very different. You're not just wanting funny stories. You want to bring people a cool thing and have them like talk about it you know yeah. and it's sort of a it's like a relatable thing that's mm. deeper than just an experience yeah like a menial uh, sort of like pizza yeah. delivery thing that people and like i know people in radio that would just make like you know, i'd hear someone on radio tell a story that happened to them and i go no it didn't i know you <laughs> that didn't happen to you you're making that shit yeah. up or you know like why would you do that like i understand you've got to create content for your radio show but why just just fucking play a song, yeah. <laughs> or just like I things I love to do is music based stuff. So you've got a song, and so you'd play a song, and and people would like. I mean, there was a song by Bon Iver and and it got covered by someone else, 
and the other song became more popular in the in the pop world. And so people were like, are you playing a cover of Birdie? There's this woman named Birdie, not Little Birdie, Birdie, who covered yeah. Skinny Love. So it's, and everyone's like, and one person texted me going, are you playing a, a Birdie cover on Triple J? And I'm like, no, this is the original by, by Bon Iver. This is Skinny Love by Bon Iver. This is the song that made him popular. Yeah. And then so this is interesting. People are thinking this is the original. So how many other songs do you think are the original that are actually a cover? And this turned in this massive show where I found out that Girls Just Want to Have Fun by Cindy Lauper was written and originally recorded by a fucking man, yeah. which is creepy as hell. It is creepy. And, and so, I know. And so that was so, you can tell by the excitement in my voice, that's the sort of <laughs> shit that I find exciting on the radio. That is exciting. And, it's, and so many people, like, you know, you find so many songs and so, things like that. Yeah. And that's, that's stuff, even though that's very nerdy and kind of trivial but it's you know that is a a version of the things i used to like to do on the radio yeah and and from that to ridiculous stories i remember a criminal hit in a bath once in a small town to get away from the cops and so we went to that small town and we found that bath that sort of thing you know like those sort of fun yeah exactly like little you imagine like you know two mic break version of a, uh, a crime, true crime podcast. That's yeah. that's what's fun doing that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe three mic breaks because you also had to find the bath by going to the pub. Yeah. And I think to a taxi driver. I think that's how we did that one. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Kind of, that's fun stuff. Yeah. That's not fucking trying to ban a band because they got angry at one of no, your presenters. Fuck, that's fucked. Mm. So it is the reason why you left because you just could you didn't want to think of your life as content. It was one of it. Yeah. yeah. It's it's all it's it just takes over your life. And yeah. ten years was a really good amount of time that's to just a go. Really that's long fine. time. Yeah. To do anything. To do anything. Yeah. yeah. And to do radio where you're at work. I was at work from when I was doing the afternoon show from. 10 in the morning till about seven at night at the office. So that's yeah. like nine hours in the office. And, you know, you just get like, oh, I had back problems from sitting at my desk. Oh. And it's horrible. I'm like on the radio. I shouldn't yeah. have back problems. I should be running around, you know, yeah. throwing out icy cold cans of Coke or whatever. But it was, uh, <laughs> it was, it's just mostly sitting at your desk, listening to music, looking yeah. for stories, watching YouTube, yeah. trying to find funny th- audio or whatever, and researching bands, of course, for the interviews yeah. and stuff. But um, and I still love it. I, I get to do the J files on Double yeah. J fairly regularly. That's great. That's good fun. Tori Amos this week actually. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's hilarious. And taking me back to the nineties as well. Yeah. How much research do you have to do for J file stuff? Oh, fucking so much. I, I weeks. I, well, yeah. I started. Well, I started. I only found out I was doing it last week. So yeah, I I have to, I insist on like so for the J files the same as any interview. You want to be an expert about that person for that for that for that amount of time. So. It's a 15 minute interview. You've got to be an expert about that band for the 15 minutes for the interview, just in case they say something and you're like, wait a second, I know what you're yeah. talking about. So it was like, I remember interviewing Jack White once and I'll just pick that name off, off the floor as I leave. Um, <laughs> but he said, he was talking about this song off his new album and I had, I knew the song, the album wasn't now, it was Lazaretto. The album had a song and I'd looked up all the titles just to find out what information I could find out about him. And one of them, the title was. T- taken from a French fucking piece of literary work or whatever. And I knew about all this because I'd read it all. And he just goes, well, you know, in that song as well. And I'm like, oh, but isn't that song based on the French book, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, fuck, you know what I'm talking about, dude. Aww. And he's like, and it's just like, it's the smallest piece of interview rubbish. But it just, you know, rather than, cool, tell me about the songs on your album. It's like, yeah. you know about the specific things. And it's it gets people so much more into talking. And so for the J-Files, that's two hours long. So you're playing... 17 songs depending on the length of the song maybe 20 songs um and talking in between them or in between some of them and you need to know about everything just in case so you don't want to miss anything because fans of 
Jay, of, of the band. So whether you're doing, I've done Ween and Weezer and Magic Dirt and Silverchair and Iggy Pop and um, and Pet Shop Boys last week and Tori Amos this week and a few others. People are so passionate yeah. and they don't want the person who's talking to get stuff wrong or at least, or to not care. Like getting stuff wrong I guess, is okay, but to not care and go, oh, here's another song off, you know, Little Earthquakes, or whatever. You've got to know your stuff yeah, yeah. and play the cool versions and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, I um, I go into ridiculous amounts of research mode, yeah. listen to everything. And someone like Tori Amos, she's only oh, really so much 15 stuff. albums, plus yeah. all the different versions of all the songs, yeah. like live versions and alternate mixes and alternate versions and re-recordings. And yeah. <coughs> it's really hard work, but it's yeah. quite rewarding because then you know you find these cool things, you know, and you find a different version of this song and, you know, and you can play this and go into that. I haven't worked out what I'm going to do for that, but there was a few with um, Pet Shop Boys a couple of weeks ago. I did different versions of West End Girls because there's the original version they recorded in New York with Bobby Orlando before they became, they recorded their proper first album and so you can sort of segue between them and they also put in a little bit of uh, Flight of the Concords Inner City Pressure because that's ripped off <laughs> that's Wet right. Sand Girls directly yeah. it's like it's just fun stuff that like yeah fun. but you need to you can't just you need to know everything before you can do these little things and it's yeah. a horrible it's like you need to know everything about Italian food before you can make pa- uh, like one pasta meal like it's yeah. you, you get nothing out of it really yeah. but you need to know everything to do yeah, it yeah I know what you mean which is a horrible amount of work I listened to your Ween one mm-hmm. and I thought it was great because uh, I'm obsessed with Ween. I yeah. thought you did a really good job. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sure I would have got some facts wrong. I'm trying to remember. Oh, the only thing I, with Ween was the lyrics. Yeah. Because you're listening back to Ween, it's like looking at the frogs wearing blackface. I know. It's like, oh man, come on. <laughs> Especially that Country Greats album. Oh, such a good album. <laughs> that was hard too because you, there's so many genres to go with Ween. People really hate that album. Yeah. I really love it. I, I, I mean, I like it. I like the fact that they did it. I like the fact that they yeah. got recorded it and Didn't those guys had it. no idea what fucking <laughs> lyrics they were playing yeah. along to. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You also did the um, JTV stuff at the time that you were mm-hmm. doing Triple J stuff. Was that even more time consuming and you had to like actually be in front of a camera instead of just sitting on your little chair getting yeah. a backache? And TV, everything you see on TV takes 14 times longer than radio. Yeah. It's so fucking boring. And but d- did you find it really hard to censor yourself? Like you ha- obviously couldn't swear because it was G-rated. Yeah, but I didn't swear on the radio anyway. And I got very good at not swearing on the radio. Yeah. And it's something that's e- I, it's easy to not swear, really. Like Is it? I find I, it really difficult. I think, I think I got... And it was much easier than just substituting fucking for freaking or, or yeah. you know, which a lot I've seen people do or heard people do. I think it just got us to use different words and different ideas and that sort of thing and be more creative. Yeah, not Paul Keating creative levels of himself, <laughs> but, but still creative. And um, yeah, so on telly, I mean, telly was fine because there's also none of it's live or very little of it's live. Anything yeah. was just, because with the JTV, I myself and my friend Tony would write the whole show and... Um, and re- and film it in like right at one day, film it the next day or over two days in the afternoons after I finished work. And then it was on the radio, on the telly that Saturday or the next Tuesday, depending on which season it was. Yeah. And it was just, it was just so much, stand, like putting a suit on, standing around, a little bit of um, foundation on my face and then 
hey, yeah. I've been up since five o'clock. Let me jump around <laughs> and tell you about this this next video clip we're going to throw to, while also including this weird narrative about some strange thing we've decided on to do this week because it's International <laughs> Science Week. So we're going to show you how to do a science experiment, yeah, which we've yeah. just made up, with, you know, <laughs> and we have no we all have no permission to film where we're filming, so we need to do it quickly because we're just down at Bicentennial Park and the <laughs> rangers are going to come soon and tell us to move, or yeah. you know, we're standing in the middle of the street. We need to do it before the cars come. <laughs> yeah, it, it was ridiculous stuff. I remember being on JTV once with Quan, and I feel like everything we said, they were like, cut, too rude, really? cut, oh, too rude. That sucks. And even just like saying, because I, you know, there was like a segment on it where you had to, someone would send in a recipe and you'd make it. Oh, okay. Yeah, it. this is that, this is that, that year, this, this is that season, one of the first seasons. Yeah. Before it got cut down to just me throwing to videos. Probably, <laughs> just, yeah. Yeah. So we made something and, and I ate it and I was like, oh, it just tastes like something I would make if I was drunk. And they were like, cut, can't say that. Yeah, and then, it was um, Saturday morning, that's why I had and to be saying, Quan was saying something about um, being in the bubble and he said, you know, I'd wake up and there'd be like a volleyball team staring at my balls. They were like, cut, can't use that. Oh, gosh. <laughs> we yeah. were like, man, we are really filthy. This is going yeah, but it's terribly. Because, it's just because of the, yeah, TV is so scared of all that stuff. Yeah. Not as bad as America where, you know, even like the upturned middle finger is blurred out. Yeah, that's right. like that. Um, tell me about some tricky interviews. The interview that I remember, like there, there's interviews where people are shy and they're not, I mean, the guy from Amy Horror was a little bit, shy once we interviewed him that's fine and um some people are quiet and i remember there's a lot of people people tell you that someone's really difficult but what it means is that they're shit at interviewing yeah i was fine when someone says oh be careful with that person they're 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 really difficult (laughs) what they're actually saying is i'm a bad interviewer i couldn't interview (laughs) them well and all you need to do is just find a cool little thing that they want to talk about and suddenly they open up people like laura marling who is fucking so intelligent yeah she is and you just need to find something to turn her brain on and it'll go amazingly and it's just finding something that they want to talk about. And I can't, find, I can't think of any of the examples of people where they say, oh, I careful to do a little interview. But the only, only band who I've just fucking hated the interview was Royal Blood, which, is, which coincides with how I feel about their music. <laughs> but it, but it, at the time, I was like, okay, that's cool. Yeah, nice. Yeah, you kind of sound like Band of Skulls or like that one good Queen of the Stone Age song or whatever, or Early Grinspoon. That's fine. Yeah. Oh, but it's, it's a bass, is it? But it sounds like a guitar. Oh, my God, you've blown my mind. Just get a fucking guitarist and fucking... Anyway... <laughs> But this was these were like, the, but they were just uh, just the only band that I could tell didn't care. And they're only just two young kids, whatever, yeah. from England, just wanted to just get drunk, and that's fine. But sure. I, just, I just didn't. I was like, guys, you you've just sort of blown up. You should yeah. be vaguely interested in this. You know, it was You're before they were being played on Triple M and stuff too. This sure. was like the first. That was the only, and and people frothing over those guys. I was like, it's the only band that I really just don't care about now. <laughs> and they were rude to you. Not real, no, not rude. That like just didn't have a personality. Like rude's great. Like um, rude is great in like you know when I've had uh, interviews with Josh Homme, whatever. And, oh yeah, and people happened with him. Yeah, he told me. You know, I nominated him for the Friday fuckwit because he'd stood up Tom and Alex for an interview for four hours and then didn't show up and then he didn't get the joke and called me a fuckwit and hung oh, up. Right. That's fine. That's fine. That's good. That's good. That's interesting. Yeah. And, and at least he was passionate about something. Yeah. Um. You know. But these guys just they were just boring just nothing kids and yeah. i was like man oh. yeah. and suddenly i'm seeing their music from that through that prism as well you're just like oh cool like, whatever <laughs> um i remember i've interviewed um the black keys 
and people were texting in going, oh man, these guys are going to town. I can't, these are such guys are such assholes. But I'm just like, no, this is the best. These guys are having a fucking ball being laconic, rude pricks. And it's the best. <laughs> like, And they're taking me to task, but it's awesome because I'm kind of like, I, I, don't, I wouldn't say they're my mates, but we've sort of hung out at gigs and stuff. Yeah. And they know they can just ride me like an, like an idiot and it's the best. Oh, and that's cool. Yeah. And it's like, I wish I could show you guys the smirks as they're doing this. It's the yeah. best, you know. Um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's good to be, I was at Rasheen Murphy once who I was like interviewing and was talking about, she was wearing a, I, I called it a hoodie, yeah. but it was apparently a, a fashion item and she goes, okay. oh no, it's not a hoodie. Oh, Lindsay, it's not a hoodie. <laughs> it's like, this is the way she told it and she just slapped me down. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. Okay. And, oh, there was a great time I interviewed, um, Bob Geldof because I did that accent. So obviously I went from yeah. Rasheen to Bob Geldof and Sir Bob Geldof. And Jason and I interviewed him and what had happened previously, and I am going to swear, I'm going to use the, the C word in this bit. Uh, she, I already did it. Yeah, I know you did actually. Yes. <laughs> but you could it. edit that out and then it make me look bad. <laughs> I only did it because Game of Thrones, they use the C word all the time. That's why yeah. I was like, if you say the C word, it's okay. Cause That's how, it's yeah, right. Now. I, I couldn't handle it when um, Sopranos used it because it was always right. a, it was a very violent well, female always, yeah. loaded term in America. In America, yeah. it is, yeah. Anyway. Whereas in Australia, it's like, well, yeah, you can't. I know. But so, go on. So, we were talking about uh, Live Aid and the Boomtown Rats, and somehow it came up that I, I asked him a question saying, and I, but it did okay for you, like the, the, the second Live Aid, because you got to release an album after that and it was really popular. And he just looks at me and goes, that was released. That was released months before that, you cunt. <laughs> and when it's like, uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Geldof, I don't think you're allowed to say that word on breakfast. I don't think, no, I don't think you're allowed to have cunts on breakfast. And he goes, well, what the fuck are you two doing here then? <laughs> and when it's like, are you just going, going, this is the best thing. And then Lily Allen had called Bob Geldof a cunt in an interview. And so right. we interviewed Lily Allen and we said, look, Bob Geldof called us cunts. This is all being bleeped out. These are all yeah, pre-records. Yeah. And you called Bob Geldof a cunt. Now, we need to complete the triangle of cunts here. And she goes, you're not going to call me a cunt. I was like, I'm sorry. She goes, I'll fucking hit you. I'll fucking... I'm sorry, Lily Allen, but to complete the triangle, I've got to call you a cunt. And she's like, smashed. It was the best. And this is all like, we were fairly new to radio this time. This is all in the first year or two. So we were like realizing that we just thought because you could bleep it out, it was fine. Sure. Then we soon found out, which, which this can't. all went to where. You can't. You can't. <laughs> That's... um. That's, that's how Marie got her, got her around that rule. I'll tell you that's around the thing. So yeah. So anyway, that was very funny. And the triangle of cunts happened. And it's still, that, that audio is still around somewhere. Now, Marie played the, um, the iconic um, uh, sound of music audio of uh, the, 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 one of the matron nuns saying to Maria, Maria, what is it you can't face? <laughs> and, then, and then played, and that's great. And then played... A great Gautier song. It's a "What Do You Want" by Gautier from his first, from his second album, from yeah. like Drawing Blood." And it's like, uh, "You want to do this or something? You can't. <laughs> what do you want?" And it's so fucking great. And like that, that's how you get away with. So there is actually there is one song we played. There's a few songs with the word "cunt" in them that do get played on the radio, but there's one that there's a song, a band called IMX, who are popular in the sort of mid two thousands, and there's a line about. All the all the cunts that you something and the, the way he says it in his Northern English accent, you get away with it because you can't hear the word. Yeah. Cunt. So that, that. Well, it's the same thing as um, "Blubber Boy" by yes, Regurgitator. Yes, of course. There was yeah, a yeah. secret cunt in that song. There was a song. secret cunt in that song, exactly. And they got played on Triple M. Wow. Yeah. 
and it's still one extra like cunt this. on Triple M to add to the list. <laughs> hey. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to shoot off a few um, quick questions before we get to your story. Okay. Okay, first question. As if they're going to be quick, if I may. Yeah, they're probably not going to be quick. Okay, um, who are your musical heroes when you first started playing guitar? Uh, When I first started playing guitar, it was uh, Mike McCready and Stone Gossard from (laughs) Pearl Jam, Jerry Cantrell from (laughs) Alice in Chains, Kurt Cobain. Uh, and uh, Chris Cornell and Kim Thyle from Regurgitator. Uh, from Soundgarden. <laughs> <laughs> Soundgarden. Uh, who they, are your musical heroes now? Uh, I, I wouldn't discount any of those people. I mean, they're all great. Um, Kim Thyle from Regurgitator. Kim Thyle was one of my favourite members of Regurgitator. Very short-lived, uh, uh, heavy rock version, down-tuned version of Regurgitator. Um, now it's there's everyone. Everyone is my fucking hero. Like, why? That's I, cool. It's, it's so lame, but... So many musical people, like people as, you know, like from your, your amazing rock gods, like Falcus from Future of the Left, who plays music that I can never write or play. And I so love I'm him in, so I'm, much. Yeah, I can't, I cannot write songs like him. And people try and yeah. you can't do it. It's, nah. you, you sound shit if you yeah. try and write. Also, it's the accent. Yes, the accent. And that beautiful, that accent, which just conveys absolute apathy anger and humor in yeah. the same yeah beautiful it's, it's amazing. and he plays an amazing synthesizer that sounds great he, he does he does <laughs> indeed and, and and the crazy tuning guitar guitar yeah. tune weirdly and all that um but then um oh man i don't know there's so many people from so many different it's hard because back then it was just guitarists yeah. i love all these guitarists but now it's everyone from like um just oh seeing bands like totally unicorn who just like that play this amazing fucked up hardcore stuff but play it like really sexily like as we were watching them they tour with us watching them play um and they just just seeing the way they do this really full-on math rock but they're just fucking like just dancing around on stage like this like shaking their boobs around when they do it and stuff apart from the fact that their lead singer is in the crowd running around wearing um tie-dyed underwear <laughs> singing. Right. but um there's yeah there's uh, there's so many people it's hard to um i mean obvious big names like um yeah, LCD sound systems and yeah. um, things like that, and and um, and I don't know. I, That's I, heaps. Yeah, I can't I, even think because there's so because these days every time I try and think of someone, I I always put it through the sphere of, am I saying enough women? Am I doing enough people oh, of color? Yeah. Color because of the way the world yeah. works now. Um, is there a song that makes you cry every time you hear it? No, I don't cry very often, um, like at all. I've cried maybe like. In my adult life, twice. Really? Yeah. When was the last time you cried? Oh, it was like a sort of a. I've cried at silly times, like when you've been on an airplane for twenty hours and your body's all messed up from red wine and altitudes and stuff. Um, and cried laughing quite a lot. Most recently to um the movie uh, What We Do in the Shadows. Oh, I love that movie so much. It's the best. Jen and I were on a on a flight to Darwin, and when Jen bought me a sixty dollar keyboard, yeah, the next day from Gumtree from Darwin. And um, we were watching, we were crying so much, the stewardess had to come up to us and ask if we were okay. And we was like, we're just watching this movie. She goes, oh, I've seen this movie. It's great. It's yeah, really it's the best. For anyone who hasn't seen it, mm-hmm. please go and watch it immediately. I think I was, I was telling Jason, I was t- telling Jen, my wife, about this song that Jason wrote on our new album. And we'd been, it was like a few days into like a, we'd been drinking every night and we were quite... You know, we'd been sitting on the on the lounge drinking wine and I was going, this is before the album got released. And the last song on our album is called, um, uh, it's called Food Court. And it's song, the lyrics are, I'll be waiting after the fights caused by all the MDMA leaching away. I'll be waiting fluorescent lights, thinking about all the things that we've done right. And it's written, 
essentially with Jason sitting in a food court waiting for his wife going, I'm so stoked on all the choices I've made in my life because I'm waiting for this woman who's coming here and I'm seeing all these horrible things that are happening that happen all over the world. But I'm thinking about all the things I've done right. And it's fucking beautiful. That is beautiful. <laughs> it's really... And I was like telling Jen, because there's, I've written a song a song about Jen on the album. And there's, we write songs about our friends and stuff. Sure. And, but I was just telling Jen this and Jen's going, are you crying? And I'm going, I think a little bit because it's really fucking beautiful. <laughs> so that's probably the last time I cried. Oh, did you cry at your wedding? Nah. Nah, yeah. I, I... No. No. No, I was too worried about the guitar solo I had to play <laughs> in, right. during the ceremony. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of guitar solos, um, do you find it difficult to jump around like an idiot and play a guitar at the same time? Yes, but you just have to know when to do it and how to do it. Yeah, that's the <laughs> trick. And when you put the guitar behind your head, you just make sure you're in the same position for the whole solo. Yeah. It's easy. Okay, good tip. Yeah. Um, do you find it difficult to find vegan food in like pubs? I don't generally ask in pubs. Well, pubs even, have beer. but I mean, like on tour. Oh yeah, playing. no, I, I'm a very good. I'm a I'm a um a uh, apocalypse prepper. I would say when oh, it comes really? to tour. So uh, like right, hard on the hard ons kind of level. No, no, because I, I will can. touch a surface that has that someone else <laughs> that a meat eater has touched. Now I right now in my Airbnb <laughs> place I have some mash with veggie pota- veggie sausages, mashed sweet potato, and stuff that I brought from home oh. that's sitting in the esky because there's no fridge in the Airbnb. Um, and also I have eight gluten-free wheat bix and some oh. nuts and seeds that I brought from home. Oh. Because even though I'm in Brisbane, which has gluten everything. Gluten-free? Why gluten-free? I don't eat too much wheat. Okay. I, eat wheat I eat wheat if I want to. Like but for, you have many allergies of mm, random stuff. Cashews, pistachio and eggplant. No, I'm not allergic to gluten. You just don't like to put, put it in your body. No, wheat makes me a bit sneezy. Ah. But as you'll see tonight, if we eat the pizza <laughs> after this. But oh, yeah. I choose. Uh, I'm about Jen, to Jen, make you sneeze. Jen loves my... Uh, wheat allergy arbitrariness like <laughs> things I won't eat because I'm allergic to wheat but the things I will eat because they're tasty it's amazing <laughs> it's it's it makes no sense and it's completely based on what I have to do over the next few days sure. and stuff yeah. yeah um what was it like working with Bill Stevenson it's always so fucking good he's the so best he's so for those who don't know he he's the drummer in the band called the Descendants mm-hmm. who Possibly the best punk band ever. Absolutely. And he played drums in Black Flag uh, through their shit period, as Gordon keeps reminding him. (laughs) Uh, He's just, yeah, he's so good, so honest. So apart from his recording studio, which to explain how it works, would take another whole podcast. Mm. It's an amazing conveyor belt of quick, like of of economy, of like as in time economy, of money economy, because he gets it done quick and just makes things sound so good so quickly. He and Jason Livermore, who is his partner, equal partner in the the recording studio and equally as important. And but he's just so so honest. Like Great. I don't know, this sounds a little I don't know. Like and songs that I wasn't fully vibing on, maybe, and he'd just hear it and go, "Man, I gotta see, play that song again. I gotta hear that song." Man, and then you realize why he likes the song and get right into it and stuff. You hear yeah, he's, it through his eyes. Yeah, his and yeah. yeah, he's and he's just such an absolute music fan and yeah. a true eccentric. And he also had a brain tumor. And that's right. Yeah, it's it's fine now, which is good. Did you see his scar? Of course, is I've seen. Huge? I've seen most of his body. <laughs> and, and everything about him is huge. <laughs> he's wonderful, but he's also got the most beautiful singing voice, oh. and he can play guitar like a motherfucker. He wrote. God, like, he wrote all those the best Descendants yeah, songs, right? Yeah, except well, for I, I'm the one. Yeah, yeah. He wrote, and, he, and on the new album, on the new album, he wrote "Without Love," yeah. which is this great song, which goes, "Another day goes by, and we can't live like this anymore. Can't live without love." Oh. Which he didn't realize when he wrote it and then recorded it with the Descendants. Sounds very much like, 
all these tears I cried <laughs> made another night. Well, baby, it ain't over till it's over. <laughs> so he's completely ripped off Lenny Kravitz. <laughs> The drummer and primary songwriter of one of the greatest bands in the world completely ripped off Lenny Kravitz. A fact which we would not let him forget, much to his despair eternally. <laughs> I had to ask Simon, because I, I, I'm the one is possibly what, one of my all-time favourite songs ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that Bill wrote that song. I think that Maybe was not. the that was... bass player guy. Yeah, because yeah, of the bass. The bass yeah. line was such as Carl, yeah. God, it's good, that song. But also... I love that, yeah, they're just the way they write is, because it is, they bring songs in separately. And yeah. It's just, yeah, it's a very, oh, yeah, they're such a good band. Do you collaborate with, with Jason? We kind of do. Or do but you bring out? It's mostly fully formed songs. Yeah. With this album, with the last couple of albums, previously we'd sit, like with the, the 90s albums, we'd write bits together or we'd write whole songs and we'd sit there and work lyrics out. We didn't care about lyrics back then, so we'd sit there with a bottle of whiskey and write the lyrics together, just fucking me and Jason generally. Yeah. Like a very fully formed fi- pictures of us sitting at like you know in in California writing lyrics for the songs we had to sing that the next day or he had to sing the next day, but then we yeah we sort of write songs separately now. There's a couple of songs in the new album where there's one song I'd written the music and I had these lyrics about the environment and Jason goes no nah, fuck that I like this I, I want to write a, you guys I want to write a song called. I'm waiting for the postman because he's going to get me high <laughs> about buying drugs on the dark net, but that's all I've got. And, I, and he goes, can you put it to this song? So I went away and with that idea and with my music, scrapped the lyrics and changed it to being about that. So that's very much a, a production line style of songwriting. We've got this, we've got this. Fit those, fat in, that fits into the chorus. Now let's make all this fit. But um, yeah, didn't, good. It was, yeah, it's a good song. It's a good song. We played it live a, we played it live a few times in the last two. It's very fun. Do you find it exhausting to be funny I, all the time? Well, no, being on, which yeah. is, the, which I guess the funny bit is what you, what I, Fall, fall over on because it's easy yeah yeah but like yeah yeah but then no it depends in, it depends in which company like on radio occasionally it would be a bit like being on was tiring and and whatever but then sometimes like me and jen just it's it's ridiculous how much fun we have just talking yeah. crap and i think that's you know <laughs> that's a, you know that goes with people with, with See? Who are in love? Yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just, it's yeah. Like sometimes, you know, like when we used to tour with sort of more hardcore bands and stuff. Yeah, and it was so tiring having to be on with them the whole yeah. time. Be out, al- be like that alpha kind of personality, sure. and be on in that alpha, almost like a negative sort of sort of humor kind of yeah. way. And I, we, at the end of the nineties, we did a lot of that, and it, that was tiring. I was thinking more of like when you're writing songs, all of your songs are oh, very right. sort of humorous. and That's the best bit. It, no, it is. It Word absolutely play is. And, and nonsense. But, it, but do you find it difficult? Like, do you wish you could just write a song like, I want to know what love is? <laughs> that's one of the funniest <laughs> songs ever written. It's going to take a little time, a <laughs> little time to start things over. It's going to read between the lines, in case I need it when I'm older. I love that song. It's a good song. Um, um, but do you, do you want to be er- more earnest? No, I mean, I think that, earnest songs work with a bit of humor in them anyway like i've definitely written 
serious-ish songs, like, and which they haven't made the albums. Lots of, like, we've written you know, 60 songs for every album that comes out, and it's lot, uh, there's a few earnest songs. And Jason, Jason writes a few, and he calls them the mopey shit. And they're, <laughs> on, on the album, there are songs. Mopey or Moby? Mopey, not Moby. <laughs> no, we have never sunk that low. <laughs> no, I'm sure he's fine. He's, he's, a, he's a punk rock fan. Sure. Uh, and, and a vegan, apparently. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, uh, but uh, yeah, the... <laughs> the, the mopey shit is good fun, and and because you get to be earnest. I wrote there's a couple of songs on the album that I wrote, which are humorous in the word. There's a song called Organ Donor, which is all about being there for your mates. But because you, the only time you ever get to hear your mates spill out the problems in their life is when you're drinking a lot. You become yeah. you're donating essentially donating your liver to them because you you know you're, sure. you're going to fucking die from that's that's a really bad analogy. <laughs> but then the song by halfway through just becomes literally about donating your organs because I ran out of shit to say about <laughs> your mates. But um, but there's yeah there is I don't know there the, the I don't, I don't think I care enough about being like a songwriter so much to be like to be a serious songwriter like it's just more fun to write funny shit yeah. or fun fun stuff more than funny like not laugh out loud funny i mean i still laugh every time i hear jason sing Cunact, which i wrote <laughs> and i get him to hear when you when you roll a seasoned ham at a heap of tomato cans just after they've been stacked contact that's the best i got to write that in a song which then had a video clip made which we paid fox trotsky to make a video clip for which then got released and people watched it it was like that's ridiculous how do i get to do that it's not that's yeah that's, and that's better than thinking oh wow i got to write that really cool song about that really serious issue and it got yeah. made and everyone's singing along to it which i'm yeah. sure is very heartfelt and wonderful sure rewarding yeah. in its own way i think it'd be more tiring to write serious songs to answer yeah. your question in a very <laughs> short form fair enough um, okay, so this brings me to my final question, mm. which is, tell me your, this is not really a question, it's yeah. more a statement, um, tell me your strangest or worst show experience or just the strangest thing that's happened to you because you're a musician. And this is the, this is where I, I fall into this weird bag of nonsense where I don't <laughs> know where to go because as I, as I mentioned, when we were talking about this before in, in text message form, I, I, my stories swing from being threatened with death by the Deftones all the way through <laughs> to being beaten up by the Wu-Tang Clan or associates of, through to Slipknot uh, being very angry at us, through to much nicer things. And I think I'm going to go just because I'm trying to work out, because I know that this is the bit that gets drawn. Yes. So this, this is, is the thing. So do, I, so do I want to get drawn the time that I was on tour with No Effects in America, in Chicago, we played the House of Blues in Chicago, and after the Frenzel Rama No Effects show, it became a Wu-Tang Clan show. And, and this <laughs> is like a separate good. gig, so Audience Leaves comes back, and we were allowed to stay to watch the Wu-Tang Clan, and my God, that was so awesome. Yeah. So exciting. I had a few drinks. I was so excited. Had a few Just more a drinks. <laughs> May have forgotten that the dressing room that was our dressing room is suddenly not our dressing room anymore. It was the Wu-Tang Clan's dressing room. <laughs> And so, Little Drunk Lindsay, 2001, maybe 2000, so I'm like 23 years old, just wanders back into his dressing room, probably looking for another bottle of tequila or whatever, and next thing he knows, he's being pushed down onto the coffee table by a bunch of people who, in my inebriated state, were either members of the Wu-Tang Clan or their associates. I don't... That's not profiling or anything. They were just tough black dudes throwing me down onto this table, and and... As well as drinking, I had also I was in a an enhanced, serotoninly enhanced frame of mind. <laughs> I was smiling at the time. 
And as they threw me, picked me up, and I remember this fairly clearly, although I may have invented the memory because I've told the story a few times, sure. thrown to the security guard who dragged me down five flights of stairs. Oh my God. I was smiling the whole time because <laughs> I knew this would be the best story. I just got beaten up and thrown downstairs by the, by the Wu-Tang Clan. Content. It's amazing. Well, this is pre-radio, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Content as in, in life content. Yeah. It's the best. And on the radio, several times I tried to, um, you know, talk to the Wu-Tang Clan about it. Yeah. And they say things like, yeah, that sounds like something that might happen. You know, there's so many of us. Who knows who yeah. it was, you know. And absolutely, they were completely within their rights to do it. There was no, like, they there was no violence. They just, you know, this idiot little fucking Australian white boy came sure. into the room. We threw him onto the t- coffee table because he was messing with our shit and then threw him out. That, sure. That's fine. So that could be drawn. That's a pretty good story. And that one, I mean... When when the Deftones threatened us with shooting is because yeah I really need to know that that was story. that was at the big day out and we Jason and I always talk over each other on the radio we did it it, it happens on stage a lot and so it happened a few times there was one annoying time there was a band called Waikiki who played before us and they were getting hassled for, for you know because there were women in the band and guys are generally fuckwits in the audience yeah. and so we came out on stage stage and Jason was trying to tell everyone you know give it up for Waikiki you know and I was also at the same time talking about a roller coaster over here that I just went on that sucked so all the audience <laughs> heard was give it up for Waikiki what a piece of shit and it was quite an annoying <laughs> thing anyway that's not doing on that same concert <laughs> We were explaining our new song, possibly current video that we just put out called Ball Chef, which is about the eating of Rocky Rocky Mountain oysters in America, which are buffalo testicles. Yes. And so we're just like going, yeah, man. You know, like we're just both talking at the same time. You know, Americans love this. You know, they just rock it. It's just balls, buffalo balls. We're eating buffalo balls. And then I'm just like, yeah, if you go backstage right now, the Deftones are chowing down on a big old plate of balls because they were the American band who I first thought of on this tour. Sure. And apparently that the Deftones heard that. Uh-oh. But they didn't know it wasn't, they didn't know it was the guitarist. They thought it was the much more recognizable lead singer who they then cornered after <gasps> this show and said, you d- you're using the D word for your own devices. If we were back in San Diego, which I think they're from or San Francisco, I'm not sure, fill in the gaps. We were back in San Diego, I would shoot you in the foot. (laughs) Jason's like, this is when Jason wasn't drinking either because he'd had a health scare a year before. So he was like, uh, uh, I think he might have been stoned. He's like, I don't know what you said because Jason didn't hear me say it because we don't really hear what we're saying. I'm sorry, I don't know. (laughs) Oh my God. And once again, we interviewed Chi Cheng, who sadly passed away, the bass player of Deftones. And he's like, yeah, that sounds like something that Chino would say. Jesus Christ, ridiculous! But that's, that's not. I mean, the, the, yeah, I think the Wu Tang story wins over that. And there was the the story of when we had at the, another big day out. We had Slipknot were playing, and we were, we had our own merch. Our merch had us four on the front of our shirts, but we we're all wearing these masks. But they were like paper plate masks, like you'd make at play school, <laughs> and like with macaroni eyes and eyebrows and stuff. <laughs> And like maybe like a drawing out of crayons and stuff. And on the back in, in glow in the dark text, it just said shit not. And Slipknot didn't like that. And it was, it didn't affect me because I mean, they're a good band. That's fine. Sure. whatever. But our bass player loves them. And oh, he no. had to hide in the Tarago because they came looking for us at the Perth Big Day Out. But they, they didn't, they just thought you would, they couldn't see your faces. Well, they, they didn't know what we looked like, did they? <laughs> just like, yeah, touche, Slipknot. <laughs> Thing is, though, like they, like I know a couple of the guys. I said, they would surely. It's just you know, you 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 get the wrong end of the wedge. You get the sure. tough guys. Like as if Corey would give a fuck. He would think it's hilarious. Surely, yeah. like I mean, it's the same thing with all those dudes. Like mm. Ramstein, are ridiculous, oh, they're the best. Funny dudes. 
I had the worst experience with Ramstein. <laughs> no, no, in that in that I didn't appreciate them when I had a chance to oh. because I was being led astray by various members of other bands who were telling me that their their Wagnerian intro tape proved that they were Nazis and stuff. Oh, and Jesus. At the time, I didn't know. I'm like, oh, I guess I won't like them then. Yeah. Like, fucking Tills was on fire when he walked out on stage. Yeah. I should have been worshipping them. Like, yeah. we saw them in, in Canada a couple of months ago and Clem, our sound guy, and I were just at the mixing desk in awe for the full yeah. hour and a half. It was the best. Yeah. Such good stage antics. It's the, and so fun and so... Like fun, like yeah. funny and fun. That whole, that perfect, um, perfect combination of brutality and violence, but hilarity. Yeah, which is so hard to get right, obviously. Yeah, that's right. But it's so good, and so many people who try it seem real, just end up seeming really slack. And yeah, like not, not you know, like when they try and be funny and violent and brutal on stage. But well, you need the budget. So yeah, you do. <laughs> and you need to all be registered pyrotechnicians that's right. and that sort of thing, as well as quite good songwriters yeah. and maybe have several of your vocal tracks on a backing track so yeah. you can get away and with... German. Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> and definitely German. So the camp vaudeville of it is is bought wholesale into it. So when you're using an angle grinder or when you're using a welder to weld your keyboard player into a giant pot so you can then boil him on stage... <laughs> Ridiculous. Oh my god, I love him so much. There needs to be a giant inflatable dick at all shows. Oh, at, at, ready to shoot out so much <laughs> fake jizz into the crowd. We we only there's a in our on our road trip, Jen and I only had a few albums on our various phones because you know they don't fit in the albums anymore. Yeah. No one owns albums; they're all sure. in the cloud or whatever. But one of them was Ramstein Live in Paris, which we'd seen <laughs> in the cinema because we went ah, to the cinema and yeah. just hearing it, like driving through <laughs> rocky red plains of Australia. You know, we'd already listened to like. The Peep Temple and Bad Dreams and the drones and other stuff you should listen to driving through Australia. Yeah. I'm like, fucking put on Ramstein. Yeah. That's the most, you know, German sounding thing in the yeah. middle of Australia. It's perfect. It perfect. perfect. Yeah. It hey, was... thank you so much for coming over and doing That's my podcast. Right. I'm going to make you some delicious vegan pizza. Thank you very much. I demand that. <laughs> that's your that's your um writer for the that's it the podcast you've seen my writer good thank you very much i'm sorry about all of the long long stories no that's the best good thank you so much thank you so